Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Winning Cures Everything. Now for your hosts, Gary and Chris. What's up? What's up? What's up? What's up? Winning Cures Everything. I'm Gary. And I'm Chris. And we have got an entertaining show for you today, I do believe. Uh, We're going to have attorney Lynn Simon on. He is uh, an advisor for the NCPA. And we'll explain all of that here momentarily. First things first, though. It is the Tuesday, March 31st edition of the show. That's right, the last day of March. And we haven't had basketball in, what, three weeks? Uh, maybe more than Al- that. Almost, uh, almost three weeks? Maybe? Is that may- I don't know. It, it, wasn't it like a Thursday? It was a Thursday, I think. So it's almost three weeks. And this is awful. <laughs> no sports. No nothing. Uh, we're about to die, I swear. But... Luckily, we've got some entertaining people that have been on. We've had some uh, very interesting guests, and I am very happy to have that, <laughs> for sure. Uh, you can find us online, of course, winningcureseverything.com, all of our picks, previews, podcasts, videos, social media platforms, etc. cetera. Uh, make sure you are subscribed on the podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, uh, Spotify, whatever your favorite podcast app is. Make sure you subscribe and leave a nice review. We would definitely appreciate that. Uh, The show, always, brought to you by Tunica, Mississippi, the South's premier sports gambling destination. They've got six incredible sports books that are not open right now because of the Mississippi Gaming Commission, along with the fact that everything is closed right now. If you are watching this, you are probably watching it at home. So, uh, tunicatravel.com is their website. You can go find more information about when they are going to be reopening along with the shows that will eventually come through town, their golf courses, their great steakhouses, etc. Whenever we are allowed to leave our homes, we could not recommend enough for you to go out to Tunica, Mississippi. So, um, I'll go ahead and call in Lynn, but while we're doing that, uh, Chris, has there been anything interesting uh, going on in your world? From yesterday, <laughs> no. Not at all. Not, not in the least. Hey, my wife made bread, by the way. 
All right, how'd she do? Well, it's it's it hadn't baked yet, but we got oh. the we got it's been rising all day. We're having chicken noodle soup tonight. It's going to be fantastic all day. Uh, it only takes an hour to rise. Well, I don't know. It was twelve, I guess. Hello. Hey, Lynn. How are you? I'm good, Gary. How are you doing? Wonderful. I've got Chris on with us. We are actually live on the show now. We're on Periscope. We're on YouTube. We are on Facebook right now. In the podcast, we'll come out immediately after. Uh, how is everything going in your world? Well, you know, it's a crazy time, and my wife and I are up in the age group where we're supposed to be very careful, so we're being pretty darn careful. But, uh, <laughs> we are know, in the we're, same we're, watch, we're, watching a, we're watching a lot of movies, we're watching a lot of old TV series, and uh, we're getting along with each other, which is important when there's two people in the house. I can, I can understand that. that my, my wife and I both agreed today that we are going to take separate vacations once this is over. My two-year-old <laughs> is going to the grandparents. And we, I'm going to Florida, and she's going to California to hang out with her buddy that's in San Francisco. We've already decided. So let me uh, let me give you a little bit of an introduction. You can find him on Twitter, at LynnSimon2. And I'm saying that right, correct, Simon? Correct. Good deal. LynnSimon2 on Twitter. Uh, he is on the advisory board of the NCPA, which is the National College Players Association. Uh, as an attorney, he has repped Major League Baseball, the San Diego Padres, uh, repped lead agents in the 2011-2012 NBA lockout. He has been involved in lawsuits against the NFL and the NCAA. He was centrally involved in the passage of California SB 206, uh, advising Nancy Skinner, the chief sponsor of the bill called the Fair Pay-to-Play Act, which restored student-athletes' rights to earn money from their name, image, and likeness. And, just to toss a little more on there, he co-owns... The Lake Elsinore, I believe that's right, Storm, which is a Padres minor league affiliate in Southern California. Now, did I did I get the majority of that correct? You got it all correct, and since you were kind enough to give me a plug on my Twitter, which is pretty new and therefore has very few followers, <laughs> let me just say that you guys south of the Mason-Dixon line, you pronounce Len like Lynn, so your, your uh, listeners should be careful. It's L-E-N with an E. Okay. Okay. That sounds good. But I, I went to I went to law school at Duke, so I'm quite familiar with that. Just a little bit of a southern <laughs> accent. That's the uh, so the GM of which I don't guess he's technically the GM. He's he is the acting GM of the Memphis Grizzlies, the NBA franchise here in town. Uh, he is a former Duke law student, so we're uh, we're we're well versed in that. He's bringing a lot of Duke guys into the Memphis Grizzlies organization, so we we've learned a lot more about that over the past few months. <laughs> so let's let's go ahead and jump into the topics for today. Uh, the first thing that we want to jump into is the NCPA. Now, the the mission for them is to protect future, current, and former college athletes. Uh, you can find them online. I believe it's ncpanow.com or it may be .org. I believe it's .com. Uh, that was the NCAA's mission when they first started. Now, what we're curious about is. How did the NCPA start, uh, just generalized, and and how did the NCAA get so far away from their original purpose that it required another organization to come in and and basically protect these student-athletes? Okay, let me start with the NCPA, and then the NCAA is a long, that's a real essay question. This is a short, <laughs> short answer question. The NCPA started when a, a gentleman named Ramogi Yuma, who was a, a defensive player on the UCLA football teams in the uh, mid to late 90s. He was the uh, defensive uh, freshman of the year in his first year playing. So he can play some ball. Oh, yeah. And he, he formed a student group um, 
student group uh, trying to protect the rights of athletes at the time with, with regard to issues mostly of safety or of people being run off and losing their scholarships because the coach found a, you know, a tight end he liked better than them or a new coach came in and didn't like their style of play. And when Ramogi graduated from UCLA, he decided that this was a project he wanted to continue, formed a nonprofit, which he called the National College Players Association. We still have it today. Uh, with the, I guess we're 20 years down the road. And uh, he basically uh, agitates, writes, uh, consults with lawyers suing the NCAA, consults with professors writing articles about the college athletics, testifies in front of state and federal uh, legislations, uh, uh, legislators about issues important to college athletes. And to give you an idea of the prominence of NCPA and, and of Ramogi, they had a hearing in the uh, Senate Commerce uh, Committee this year about uh, NIL, name, name, image, and likeness, the only hearing on the federal level so far. And the hearing seemed to be dominated by senators who thought the NCA was a good organization. And so they brought three, uh, what I would call apologists, for the amateurism principle. And Ramogi was the only guy they brought to, to present the player's side of the case. So he's a pretty prominent advocate on behalf of players in terms of, I would say, safety issues, uh, monetary issues, and just treating them with treating them with some dignity and respect. Hey, Chris, you look like you might want to. Did you want to jump in there? No, no. I mean, I'm just I'm 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 very interested in this because this is if you've listened to our show at all or, or anybody who's followed us for any moment of the time knows that I I despise the NCAA for how they treat people and how hypocritical they are and how they run things. And a couple of years back, I started looking into who is this organization, how they get founded. And when I learned that they were founded for the sole purpose of safety for student athletes, and now they're, they're so bad at their job, there has to be this other organization rise up and come into play to take over the responsibility that they were created for. And, and I find that to be a little bit, laughable and sickening at the same time. It it almost seems like the NCAA and maybe you can maybe you can jump in here. The NCAA appears to be more interested in helping schools as opposed to helping the student athletes. Uh am am I wrong well, sure, in that? Sure, let me give you no let me give you sort of a, a yes and no answer there. Of course, they're interested in the schools because the schools formed them. You know, if you look at how did the NCAA get organized, you know, Colleges were playing sports. You know, Princeton played Rutgers in like 1886 or something, and it was the first football game. And they played one at Princeton and one at Rutgers, and they had split two, and their plan was to play three. And the third one was called off when the faculty figured out that the students were wasting time playing football. And they said they didn't have time for that. They should be studying, and there was no third game. So college sports started very small, and it grew, and it grew. And when it grew to a certain point, they decided, well, we need an organization, just like you have, you know, for everything from the MLB down to Little League, we have an organization, and it has a board, creates rules, maybe rules about, you know, the play, you know, uh, how many innings we're going to play, maybe rules about the organization. So they have drafts in the Little League right now, and they have drafts in Major League Baseball. So the NCAA was formed to, to organize and regulate college sports. And I guess I would say, uh, I would say that they started talking about safety because there weren't any big dollar issues then. And I think the dollar issues have overcome everything else. Think about who's on the NCAA board. They're college presidents who have budgets, 
and their athletic directors who have athletic budgets. And it concerns them more that they will lose millions of dollars next year playing sports than it probably concerns them that they don't have perfect safety standards. Now, let me give you a second piece of it, which is that you got, I think, 1,100 members. 1,100 schools ranging from Ohio State to, you know, Podunk. And it's really hard to get them to agree on very much. So if they can agree on something which makes them all a little richer, that's a much easier sell than to agree on, for example, minimum safety standards, as to which the little guys will say, that's too complicated, that's too expensive. Let us take care of our own students. So I think, you know, money talks, nobody walks. I think the money just started to dominate the sport as it got bigger and bigger. And that's that's created an NCAA, which is somewhere between run by the guys who watch the dollars and run by nobody. Because it's so big, it's a big, you know, old bull elephant. And it has trouble moving even when it wants to. Yeah, I can uh, I can understand that. It, it's crazy to think about how much everything has changed since even as recent as you know the early to the mid '80s when we had that case that uh, allowed schools and conferences to basically negotiate their own TV contracts, uh, which kind of right. took the NCAA out of it, but also allowed the NCAA to still keep college basketball, and that's a billion dollar uh, a year kind of deal with their NCAA tournament, et cetera. Um, Let's go ahead and discuss some specific cases that, uh, that you, I guess we can say highlight uh, what the NCPA does or at least what they help represent. Uh, the first one, we don't have to talk a whole lot about this. Uh, this wasn't technically the NCPA. This was uh, the CAPA, uh, Northwestern Players Attempting to Unionize. That was back in 2015. Now, that ultimately failed, but I think it was a big step forward. Uh, tell, me, tell me what you know about that. I, I believe... Uh, uh, you know, Mr. Uma was was involved in that as well, correct? He, he was involved, and one of the big unions was involved because, of course, they were trying to form a union. And unfortunately, they they lost at the uh, at the National Labor Relations Board, which has the power to, to approve or disapprove the formation of a union. Their conclusion was that they were not employees. You have to be an employee to be a uh, to form a union. And obviously, people have been arguing for a long time, you know, what is the word, what, what do the words student athlete with a hyphen between them really mean? And some people think, you know, they're employees because they get a scholarship, although, of course, some of them don't. Uh, and uh, they get other compensation in terms of travel and, and, and medical and other things. Uh, the NLRB said they looked less like employees than like students with extracurricular activities, so they couldn't form a union. But there was some really, I guess I would call it good PR for players and bad PR for the NCAA coming out of it, which I think was part of this whole push toward more players' rights, more players' uh, income, whether it's NIL or it's, or it's salaries or whatever. For example, one of the Northwestern players, I think the quarterback, and I think the leader of, of this, this uh, push, explained that when he was recruited in Northwestern, he told him he wanted to be a doctor. And he was a smart kid, Northwestern, you know, that's not, that's not chopped liver for a- academics. And when he got there, the football coach told him he'd be way too busy to major in chemistry, which he wanted to major in, and he should major in something else. And doctor was not going to be in the picture. And he was there on a full scholarship. He was, you know, a blue-collar kid. He couldn't pay, he couldn't pay the, uh, the freight. 
So he dropped his major and gave up his plans to be a doctor. Now, that's, that's a pretty sad story, and it got a lot of play at the time. And I think it was part of this kind of groundswell of push, you know, going through Ed O'Bannon's stories about not getting paid uh, anything while his image is on, uh, is on video games, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, Northwestern was kind of a, you know, an effort to push in, push in the right direction and a failed effort, but it left them with lots of other directions to go. Now let's uh, let's move on from that. Let's talk about one that is uh, currently still pending, from what I understand the uh, the California bill that is protecting player safety. Uh, now, are you involved in that one specifically, or or do you know anything about it? I only know a little bit about it, which is that it passed, I believe, one house of of the California legislature last year, but didn't get through the other, uh, or maybe it passed a committee in one house. But it's a, it's a bill setting minimum standards for. Uh, safety at the college level for all colleges in California, I think ranging from, you know, Stanford and Berkeley down to community colleges. And it attempts to, to provide both minimum standards of what, what has to be available for the students and also kind of a rules, rules of, of the road, rules of procedure to be sure that all that the professionals dealing with the students um, know, understand what the protocols calls are and are required to follow them to avoid the kind of thing that happened at Maryland a couple seasons back. You recall that one of the players passed away uh, after a heat prostration yes. issue in uh, in summer summer camp, I believe. But the, you know the, prob- the problem with you know legislation is hundreds and hundreds of bills are proposed and very few get through, and it has not gotten through yet. Uh, and again, I think the the pushback from the schools was one size doesn't fit all. Uh, Stanford can do a whole lot more in the way of safety and um, people thinking about safety than a community college can. And I believe that Ramogi has modified the bill and is trying to get it through again this year, although I imagine not much is going to happen given what's going on with the virus. But that, that's kind of the push on safety is uh, minimum standards for every college. Now, does that uh, does a bill like that actually require a sponsor, or or is it, how how does that work? Is he able to just you know go and and file for this and and talk to some people and no, hopefully it, get people it, on board? No, it, it requires it would require a sponsor who's in the legislature. Basically, he has to go door to door in the legislature uh, and convince somebody this is a good idea. It takes one member of the state senate or one member of the state assembly. To propose it, as happened with the uh, what we're going to talk about in a few minutes, I'll bet Senate Bill 206. Oh yeah, a name, image, and likeness. You know, people were people have been talking about that again since O'Bannon sued more than 10 years ago. But uh, California started to do something about it when Nancy Skinner, the state senator from uh, from Berkeley, uh, put a bill in, and Ramogi was involved in that. I was involved in that. Uh, there's an economist named Andy Schwartz who's very active on uh, Twitter on these issues was involved in it. And Senator Skinner was the one who said, okay, I'm going to put my name on it and put it in. And uh, although, as I just said, hundreds and hundreds of bills are proposed and very few get through, it passed, as you know. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. It it caused quite a stir. Uh, Before I go further, Chris, is there anything you want to jump in on with the uh, the Fair Pay-to-Play Act? No, I mean, it was California started something and every other state that College football is is such a massive thing for immediately began to do the exact same thing, which is what I think prompted the NCAA to say, oh, all you states don't have to do something. 
maybe we can do something. Um, I, I guess my question is, would your organization rather it come directly from the states and through legislation, or are you hoping that this is just pressure put on the NCAA to, to do it through their side of it and not let it be a state-by-state thing? Oh, the, the best thing would be for the NCAA to see the light and, and fix their rules. I don't have any doubt about that. I don't think it's the most likely thing, but it's the cleanest thing. Because they can put in a few bells and whistles. And I, I, Let me explain that. Uh, as you said, you know, more than half of the 50 states have proposed legislation. But nobody else has passed a bill except California and then recently Colorado and Florida. And Colorado bill is a strange kind of bill. It looks like a compromise. So I'm going to leave it aside. It doesn't help us too much. The Florida bill is really interesting because uh, whereas the California bill is not effective until 2023, the Florida bill is effective in July of 2021. And the Florida bill has a few things in it California doesn't have. It throws a few bones to the NCAA because the NCAA says what's wrong with the players monetizing their names, images, and likenesses is that it'll turn into under-the-table recruiting. The deals will be rigged and set up by, you know, alumni. You know, a Notre Dame alumnus who owns a big company will promise some high school kid 250000 bucks to go to Notre Dame play quarterback and they'll call it name image and likeness and the the florida bill says the name image and likeness uh, deals have to be fair market value and they have to be not linked to the student attending any particular college and that's kind of what the ncaa wants they want they want limits they call them guardrails i don't know where they got that term but they want limits on this the california bill is short and simple it just says you got to let the players earn name image and likeness but the Florida bill puts a little meat on the bones and says it's got to be legit, essentially legit. And I think the NCAA wants to go in the direction of legit. But again, there's 1,100 of them. There's, you know, Division One, Two, II, and Three. There's Power Five and non-Power Five. And there's a bunch of individuals. And I've talked to a bunch of them, and they all have different opinions. So whether they get from here to there, I don't know. So would the best thing be for the NCAA to clean up its own house? Yeah. Is it likely to happen? Uh, I don't know. 60-40 against? Florida is going to push them. Florida is pushing them very hard. I mean, July 2021 is not very far away. No. 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 Well, I got got two thoughts from that. One is, well, I guess the the follow-up question was going to be, if the NCAA is going to take these steps, do we trust them to actually do it? Or are they going to find some other way for them to get a little bit more power and a little bit more control, and which is what I think they ultimately want? They just like telling people what to do, um, and uh, and and or and or are they going to actually do something that would benefit the student athletes, and we could drop all these state by state cases? And my other thing is, following up from that, I, I believe Florida put the guardrails in there because Gary, Gary and I follow college sports pretty closely college football more than anything else. And, and I'm going to tell you, they've got three, three power five big universities that are all three substantially smaller and less funded than one of their non power five, which is central Florida. 
Central Florida's got more student body and more money than the other three combined possibly. And they don't want the little guy to be able to come in and take all their players, which is why they want those guardrails. Well, that's, that's really interesting. I mean, this thing could go so many different ways. Um, you know, one possibility is Congress will step in. There were hearings, as I said. Um, you know, Congress acts even less frequently than the state legislatures do. They sort of have their hands full right now with the coronavirus, but yeah, you got one thing right. the NCAA is pushing hard for now is to let Congress do it. And they say it's because they um, they want one set of rules, which I think makes sense. There need to be one set of rules, right? I mean, Alabama and Mississippi and, and Clemson can't be on three different sets of rules. It makes no sense. Uh, you do need one set of rules. But I think the NCAA wants one set of rules, but they also want a more pleasant and friendly forum than they're getting in the state. And I think they're convinced that their lobbyists in Washington have a lot of clout and can find a way to get Congress to write something that looks good but doesn't work as well for the uh, for the students. So I think Congress is a place where it could get fixed and it could kind of get screwed up. And then the courts are the last place we got to talk about just for a second because because the NCA has been talking for a long time about how California can't do this, and it, it violates the Commerce Clause because you can't have 50 rules in 50 states if the teams are going to play against each other. That's an argument that, you know, I think it makes a little bit of sense. Um, but if you look at it if you look at it one way, what California said is that colleges in California have to treat their students a certain way. They have to let them monetize their name, image, and likeness. Now, how can you say that California can't tell California schools, some of which are California state institutions, how to treat their students? Makes no sense at all. But there's one paragraph in the bill that essentially says, and the NCAA can't punish them for it either. And that paragraph was probably a mistake. And you know what the guys in Florida did? They red-penciled it right out. It they passed almost the same bill, yeah. red-penciled that out, and then threw in the stuff about fair market value and uh, no linkage to which school you you go to. So uh, I think the floor, I think California started it, as you guys said, and Florida may finish it. That that makes sense. the The fair market value thing is is really funny to us because obviously we're down south. We're based in Memphis, Tennessee. We are in the in the middle of a hotbed of recruiting. And we understand that there is no such thing as fair market value. These kids are getting all sorts of money under the table nonstop. And it's all under the table. It's dark. It's shady. It is what it is. But there's no regulation for it, at least with a bill like this. If the NCAA or the states or federally they were to implement something like this, at least it would be above board. And I think that's what everybody wants. Everybody just wants transparency. That's all I want. I just don't, I want it, anything in, done in the darkness needs to come into the light. That's it. Because why are you doing it in the dark? But Because you're ashamed of what you're doing. So at least if there's a name and a face and, and a number to it, uh, yeah, so we, we've got somebody that just chimed in on YouTube that said, man, the SEC has no salary cap on student athletes. Like no. that's. No, that's the truth. I, I I agree with I agree with you 100. percent I've written a few articles on this, and what I say is that the clean money is going to drive out the dirty money. Yes, absolutely. I mean, there's more there's more clean money. Think about it. When Zion Williamson was a high school senior, 
he was being recruited by two or three schools. A really unusual thing happened. He's being recruited by two or three schools. None of them were Duke. And right. <clears throat> it is believed that somebody offered his father 50 or 100,000 bucks. And the next week before any deal was done, uh, the FBI indicted those guys who got in trouble over this and went to trial, got convicted and were in jail. And everybody sort of went back where they came from and started over again. And Duke, and new schools came in and Duke signed them. But let's just assume that that indictment hadn't come down and nobody had interrupted what was going on. Zion would have gone to Duke, Zion would have gone to whoever, Kentucky, Louisville, whoever they were talking to for 50 or 100,000 bucks. Now, under the table, what would he have gotten if he chose any school he wanted to go to and he could monetize his name, image, and likeness? He had 2 million Instagram followers when he got to Duke before he played a single game. And he had four and a half million when he left. That's a, he, he would have made so much money. I mean, that yeah, is all legit. Yeah, it's all, almost all totally legit. Stuff. That's right. And he could have chosen. He could have chosen any. And he could have chosen any college he wanted to go to. You know, it, it, it would it would have been more money, and it would not have been a bribe. And that's really that's one of the things the NCAA is looking for. I think is to have college sports recruiting not look like uh, the Red Sox and the Yankees and the Dodgers chasing free agents. Yes, they don't oh, really that- want. They don't really want Alabama to offer a kid one hundred and fifty thousand, and you know, and Mississippi to offer him one hundred and seventy-five, and Florida offer him two hundred. They think that, it looks unseemly and cheap, and not anything like college sports. They're so really bad question at is, that if that's what they want, because that's what they have. What, but but they're but but I think you'll agree with me. They're they're partly bad at it now because it's under the table. You can't regulate something under the table. Oh, Agreed. I think I think they're I think they know exactly where the money is. Everybody does. They just don't want to look for it. I don't think they want this fight. I think they want to just bury their head in the sand. Now, this is strictly my opinion. I could be completely wrong, but I think they know exactly what's happening. Oh yeah, I mean the SEC schools have a ton of money. It's you you don't want a star player to go to Memphis when he could go to Alabama and have, you know, a ton of TV viewers, et cetera, it, it makes more money for everybody. So, and that's that's the part of the problem is there is such a discrepancy between every Division One school. Uh, Alabama has a bigger viewership, a, a bigger pot than even Ole Miss, who is in the same conference, same division. And that's, that's kind of a problem. Uh, but if it's all regulated, at least you can look at it and say, Okay, he went there because of the tradition. He went there because he wanted to go there, as opposed to, eh, well, Alabama offered him one hundred fifty thousand, and Ole Miss only could muster up eighty five thousand. You know, that's that's where yep. it becomes a problem. Um, while we've got, to, we're already thirty minutes deep. Are you okay with with staying a little bit longer? I can stay as long as you want, and as you <laughs> as you said, you know, earlier, I we can come back next week and talk some more. Oh, absolutely. This is uh, this is riveting. I'm I'm really enjoying this. I, I do want to go in and get into these topics uh, as well. And we don't have to spend forever on them. We can always revisit if we need to. Uh, obviously, you are well-versed in, in basically everything from college to professional, etc. cetera. Uh, I do want to jump into the NFL CBA. Uh, it was recently passed. It gives us labor stability through 2030, uh, where, you know, this isn't great for the, the top, top earners in the NFL, but I, I do think it greatly helps, you know, 75% of the league. Um, what are your thoughts on the CBA and, you know, did one side get the best of 
the other, or or is this just good for everybody? Okay, let me give you my, my thoughts from the outside. You know, it's it's I have not read the, the agreement in full. I've seen people's you know descriptions of it, but I teach sports and the law. I talk about labor law every year, and I was involved in an NBA collective bargaining agreement battle ten years ago, which we can talk about now or next week or whatever. <laughs> here's here's my reaction to that disclaimer. Ten years is too long. If if your if your boss came to you and said, "Here, I got a new contract for you. It's two hundred pages long." and you get a little raise signed here, you'd read the 200 pages or bring them to your lawyer, bring them to a friend and ask them what's in there. And I don't think the players even know what's in this thing. Uh, some of the things are hard to figure out what impact they're going to have. And I would not sign a 10-year contract if I thought that the guys on the other side were 32 billionaires with unlimited lawyers and financial guys, and they had set this up so that we were not going to like it very much in a couple of years and wish we could get out. So I think 10 years of labor peace is too much. The old well, I mean, system I, was I find collective funny, bargaining was for three years, four years, five years. Go ahead, I'm interrupting. No, 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 it, I, and I'm sorry to interrupt. The average you know, career of an, uh, in a, excuse me, an NFL player is less than four years. Um, so this going 10 years, that did kind of strike me as odd because why would you not just set it up for as long as your next and I understand what they're trying to do. They're trying to set it up so that they can go ahead, renegotiate television deals, and make them as long as humanly possible because, as we all know, the cable bundle is falling apart. Uh, the The bubble that we had is drastically decreasing. There are not as many live television viewers, and the one thing that has stayed stable and continues to grow is the NFL. So they want to make as much money as possible and tie TV networks into these deals. However, for the players, it's not as good because they're only going to be in the league for a certain amount of time. There are only so many players that actually make it 10 years in this league. How right. happy are they going to be with an extra $250,000 uh, or, or whatever the exact amount is going forward? And, and, an, and, an, and an extra game to play. Exactly. They've got to play 17 games. They're stuck for 10 years. Uh, the disability benefits are not as good as they were before. And I think the procedures were just very questionable. You know, Russell Okung is, you know, has filed some kind of a claim with the NLRB. Now Eric Reed is making noises that didn't follow their own rules. The executive committee of the union voted six to five against. And it's my understanding that if you don't get past the executive committee, you don't go to the players. But D. Smith wanted this deal. And so he said, well, you know, let's let democracy, you know, reign. We'll let the players vote. And uh, if the rules say the executive committee has to approve it, they didn't follow the rules. They could have to do this all over again. Now, I want to say one more thing. I want to say one more thing about the procedures. They strong arm these players. People started floating rumors that if they didn't make this deal, there would be a lockout, and that's just impossible because they're they're coming up on the last year of a contract. You can't strike or lockout while you still have a contract, and there's a contract for the 2020 season. Now, leave aside the virus. Nobody knew about the virus at the time. These players were guaranteed that they could play the 2020 season in peace, no lockouts, uh, and keep talking about this. But pressure was put on them by people floating rumors that the NFL had had it, this was their last offer, they weren't negotiating anymore, and they would just lock the players out. And lockouts scare the hell out of players for the reasons that you just described, which is their careers are short. I represented NBA agents in the 2011-2012 lockout. And the agents, you know, would say, I don't know what to do. I got a player who's a star and he's young 
and he wants us to hold out for a better deal because he doesn't like the deal. And I got a guy in his seventh year who says he thinks this is the last year he's going to be able to stay on a roster. And he, the last thing he wants is to sit and be in a lockout and, you know, work, you know, toward the, you know, the better deal down the road because there isn't any down the road for him. So I think they scared people into voting. And, you know, the vote was pretty damn close. And it was surprising to me. I find it odd that they didn't allow people that voted early. And my belief is, and we've got, you know, a couple of guys from the town that we live in that are NFL players. Um, And what I understood is they let their agents read it and they took their agent's advice. So all of them basically said, all right, what do you think I should do? Okay, well, then we're going to go that direction. So they would vote early, and then they would get more information, and they were not allowed to change their votes. Um, now, I understand that with you know presidential elections, all that. Once you go place your ballot, like you can't go back and, hey, I need to redo that, et cetera. It may be the same way, but it seems like it would be pretty simple to be able to change a vote once you have more information or just tell everybody you can only vote at a certain time. It is is that crazy, or is that, you know, it, tell, tell me where I'm wrong here. No, I, I don't know that you're wrong. I suppose maybe if they had if they have secret ballot, uh, maybe if the player sends in his vote and the vote is yes, and then he says, you know, I want my vote back, I'm going to vote no. How do they figure out which one is his? And that's what, true. You know, what... I, I think there's some issues there, but it, it, that's another one of the things people are complaining about, and... You know, it comes down to how much confidence you have in D. Smith. There's been pushback against him by people who are getting tired of his leadership. Um, and a 10-year collective bargaining agreement may be a 10-year employment contract for him because, you know, the big the big battles that union heads have is around the time of the CBA. And the easiest time to get embarrassed and uh, lose the confidence of the players and ultimately get fired shortly thereafter, which happened in the NBA in 2012. The best way to lose their confidence is, is to make a deal that they don't like. Uh, but here the deal is for 10 years. And, you know, if he gets past this one, he's got 10 years of, of uh, clear sailing. A lot of them, back in the day, they used to do three-year deals. So to be a good labor leader, you had to make a good deal and then come back three or four years later and say, see, the last deal worked out. I'm going to get you a little better deal and do it again if you wanted to serve 10 years. This is a sort of maybe a Hail Mary effort at getting him 10 years of employment peace and not just labor peace. And that's it's a little bit frightening to think about uh, the fact that some people could have this out just for their best interest as opposed to everybody else's. Uh, well, that's what I was wondering. Do you think this is going to cost him his job? Because I don't I think, know that the I think players somebody, liked him a lot to begin with. I have a feeling they liked him at the beginning, but they've gotten they've gotten a little tired of him. But I don't know. I just don't know enough people in the NFL to have a to have a sense of that. I think there's going to be a push. There's already, you know, I think that Okung or one of those guys is pushing to uh, oust the the NFLPA president, which is you know, that's a, a guy who's a player, but who's the leader of the players. And I think they'll go after Smith next. But you know, the NBA, you know, the NBA history on this is that Billy Hunter pushed through a deal in 2012. And the players were very unhappy, which is why the players' agents hired me and one of my partners to try to find a way to push Hunter to do something he didn't want to do by bringing a lawsuit. And we could not quite get enough support from the players. We needed 51% of the players to essentially turn on their leader in order to get what we wanted. And we couldn't get it. And they signed a deal like, you know, midnight in you know, some law office in New York. 
And then people read it and didn't like it, and they fired him. But the deal was deal was a done deal. Um, so uh, I think you could have, you know, what do you call it? Buyer's remorse. You could have some buyer's remorse here. And unless, you know, unless the complaints made by Eric Reed or Russell Ocon work and get uh, the vote done over again, if you have buyer's remorse here, you can fire D, but you can't do much about your 10-year contract, which is another reason why a five-year contract sounds a whole lot more attractive. Yeah, I, com- I completely agree with that. I think we're all in agreements. We, I like the deal. I thought, I thought forty-eight percent is about as much as much money percentage-wise as the player pool is going to get. However, you want to split that up. Um, but at the end of the day, I also thought ten years is just a real long time to make an agreement. And you know what? We don't know what life is going to look like in ten years or in two. And you don't, you don't, and you don't know what the fine print of the deal is going to mean. Think about baseball. As an example, okay, baseball has this rule that, you know, three years and six years and uh, you get, you know, you get arbitration and then you get free agency. So the team started holding the players, the the rookie stars back in in, uh, the minor leagues for 30 days beginning of the season. Chris Bryant, you know, brought a... Chris Bryant's uh, the biggest one for that, yep. Okay, well, well, they can change that in the next CBA. That was something that was not written tightly enough to protect the young players. And the owners took advantage of it, and they took advantage of it fair and square. It's like, that's what it says, that's what they did. But, you know, three or four years later, you can fix it in the next CBA, and I think they will. But the NFL, there'll be something in this that'll have the same impact. It's going to bite these players, and they're going to live with it for another nine and a half years once they find it. Um, There's a lot of stuff. There's, you know, Tom Brady, Deflategate, you know. uh, Goodell gets to decide the case, and Goodell gets to be be the appellate court, too. He gets... Yeah, but but you know what? That's what the CBA said, and they were supposed to fix it this time around. And I've heard grumbling about how they haven't fixed it. But the point is, there's a lot of stuff in there, and there's a lot of stuff nobody has read very carefully. But I guarantee you, the owners know exactly what's in it. The owners and their lawyers and their assistants—they know exactly what's in it, and they think it's a good deal for them. They would take 20 years if you could give it to them. Yeah, I could believe That's that. That's right. Right, we have we have gone forty minutes, but this has been absolutely fantastic. Um, I do want to get you on again next week. I want to I want to talk about some of the MLB stuff. I want to talk about you owning a or co-owning a minor league franchise. Um, it, would that be fine? Can we get you back on? Absolutely, you got it. This has been wonderful. Thank you so much. You can find him on Twitter at uh, Lynn Simon Two, uh, Mr. Simon. Thank you so much for jumping on with us. Thank you. Thanks I appreciate the invitation. Talk so, to you soon. Yeah. Bye. Absolutely. Have a good day. All right, Chris. What uh what do you think? Yeah, I mean we got into a lot of stuff. We we covered a lot of things. I feel like I have more questions than I got answers. So it's like every answer sparked up two or three extra questions that I wanted to know about. That's the um, that's the point. I, I really firmly believe that having, you know, lawyers come on with us that are knee deep in this stuff, that understand yo, yeah. everything that's going on, yeah. it, we just want to know the information. We want to know what's happening, and they are able to give answers, which in turn always sparks more questions. And I, I think it's it's very enjoyable conversations. He is uh, obviously well versed in in all of the things that he does. Uh, we'll we'll try and have him on again next week to uh, to talk about the Major League Baseball stuff and whatnot. Uh, and I I do want to get into it, him co owning a minor because I I don't under, I don't understand how that works. How in the world do you make money from a minor league franchise? Like it. it I, We'll and, find 
And we'll definitely find out. So we'll, we'll oh, have yeah. him on again next week. Uh, I think we're going to have uh, Mr. Huma on either later this week or next week. He is, uh, he is the guy that runs the NCPA. Uh, I, I've spoken with him through email. I think we're going to have him. Uh, it may not be next. I don't know what his schedule looks like. Obviously, everybody's schedule is a little bit crazy right now because of, you know, the pandemic that is currently going on. But, uh, right now but, yeah. it's probably a good time to get people. I'll tell you exactly. that. We know they're at home. <laughs> you got that right. So later on this week, we're going to have a, uh, a physical therapist come on and talk to us about some of the injuries and whatnot that are going on in the NFL in uh, in just football period. And, uh, and he'll kind of get us ready for the NFL draft and whatnot. Uh, tomorrow, we've got a whole lot to discuss. Uh, Chris, is there any topics that we need to hit today, or can we can we jump in tomorrow? No, man. I mean, I think I think we're good. That that covered a lot of what you know. It's not like we got any new news to no. break. Or and I think to, it's good to, to discuss. Yeah, it's good to dive into these uh, these long form topics right now yeah. while we have the opportunity. Yeah. So I'm uh, well, I'm all about that. My advice to you is is somebody needs to go do something with that bread yeah, because yeah. it. It doesn't take that long to rise, and and it can rise too long She's to where now already got it in the oven. Begins to like ferment. Yeah, <laughs> it's already in the oven. I'm I'm looking right here through the door. We are right. good to go. So we're rocking and rolling. Everything is good. Rising five hours ago, we it might it, it, it might, might be too late. Yeah, unless there's a, I don't know what she's doing. I like I, I'll, right. I'll, I'll admit right. I don't know. Listen, I only know how to make bread two ways. <laughs> so. Let's not let's not act the, like I'm a genius here. That's I know it. two. I, know I, two I am I am them well. less than you are. So it, no. when it comes to that, I got no idea. I will tell you this: one I, I got, raised twice, and the other one I raised once. There you so. go. I have got ten cigars that finally came in. I ordered them early last week. It took forever for them to get here. I'm going to go on the back porch, and I'm going to pour myself another bourbon drink, and I'm going to smoke one of my uh, my stogies. And I got some Dominicans. I got some. I got some other stuff. I, I'm real excited about these. My, my my smoking days are gone. That's a. Hey, it's been a, a minute since They're I've over. had a good cigar, and I, I got some good ones this go around. So I, I spent some money, but it's a, hey, if I'm quarantined, if I'm gonna be my, here at the house all day, now listen, I'll eat some stuff, but you can. <laughs> but I'm not. My my lungs just can't handle it anymore. You know, I, I do wish too old. I've let myself take. I've just taken too bad care of myself for far too long. And uh, about probably nine months ago, Tim, I mean, it was almost a year ago. Uh, it might have been baseball season, beginning of baseball season last year. I went out with some guys, smoked cigar first time in a long time, and I, I felt like I was a child smoking <laughs> for the first time ever. <clears throat> then, I, then about a week after that, smoked a little recreational thing and had the same experience and realized, no, nothing else is going for in your lungs, but... Nothing, nothing, nothing going into these lungs but air. I, I can understand. I can I am understand. done. Now I, done. I quit smoking almost ten years ago. No, I still have one here you and there. Cig- I've never smoked cigarettes. Oh, I I've never smoked had something forever. that I just habitually smoked. That's so. it. Yeah, cigarettes were. Like I, were, I, were I, my I, I avoided that. That's it. Now it, the cigars, like I don't smoke them on the regular, but it oh, is no. still to me very yeah. nice to sit on the back porch. Well, yeah, smoke a cigar, drink some bourbon. And just kind of enjoy the night air, right? So, is what it is. Uh, let's go on and, and close out of here. WinningCuresEverything.com is the website. You go over there. You find our picks, previews, podcasts, videos, social media platforms. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. Make sure you subscribe on YouTube. Uh, comment over there. Share the show out. Tell your buddies about it. Obviously, we're on Periscope. We are on any of your favorite podcast apps. You can subscribe there and leave a very nice comment. We always appreciate those. 
You guys have been incredibly supportive, uh, and we do Go appreciate it. Go give Mr. Lynn Simon a follow on yes, Twitter. at Lynn Simon 2 That's the number two. Uh, so go and check that out. Obviously, you can find it on our Twitter page. Uh, it will be on at Winning Cures, at GaryWCE, and I believe Chris is going to retweet the show here in just a little while. So yep. you'll be able to find it basically anywhere. Go give him a follow. Help him out. Uh, he is new to the Twitterverse, and obviously once we saw him jump on, we wanted to discuss all of these things. But we'll have him on again next week. Uh, I think, oh, TunicaTravel.com. Tunica, Mississippi, the South's premier sports gambling destination. They are fantastic. Once everything reopens, once the casinos reopen, that is the place that you are going to want to go visit. We will guarantee it. So go and check them out, TunicaTravel.com, WinningCuresEverything.com. Chris, I think that's it. Anything else? That's it, brother. That is it. We will see you all again tomorrow. Thanks for checking out Winning Cures Everything. If you want to keep up with us, hit subscribe on YouTube or your favorite podcast app. Visit the website at winningcureseverything.com or you can like us on Facebook or follow us at Winning Cures, at Gary WCE, or at Chris B. Giannini on Twitter. Share out the show, leave a nice review, and make sure to comment and tweet at us. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.